This is the Counter Rock Six Nations podcast brought to you by the Irish Times in association with Nifty Business. You can find out more at niftybusiness.ie. My name is Nathan Johns, and on this special Thursday edition of the Counter Rock, I'm joined by John O'Sullivan. Morning, John. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, good morning, good night, depending on what time you're listening to this. It's Thursday. So this is an episode we wanted to do for quite a while now, and we've we've teased it a few times on previous uh, iterations of this podcast. Um, but there's an open training session today uh, with the Irish senior team during the Six Nations Den Week, and they're training against the Ireland under-20s. It's something that's happened a few times. The 20s do normally go for a hit-out or two against the senior side. But, you know, given all this talk of back-to-back Grand Slams for the senior side, Golden Age, lots of winning runs, record Six Nations winning runs, all this. I mean, it's not easy to forget, but the Ireland and the 20s have already won back-to-back Grand Slams. Ireland's success, in theory, has been built off the back of of their underage structures, and so we want to talk about that. We haven't really discussed the 20s at length during their first three games of this year's campaign. They've won their opening three games under head coach Richie Murphy, and with that in mind, John, you're the perfect man. You've covered the under-20s or whatever iteration, whatever age group they've called themselves over the years. You've you've been at this for a, bit, a while now. You've been watching these guys for quite a long time. Yeah, I think the first time was 1872, but uh, it feels like that anyway. Um, yeah, I suppose to go back to... Um, Back in the day, you would have had schools, internationals, which would have been high-profile occasions and would have been a reward for the best young players in the country. Uh, it kind of moved on from there a little bit when it got a, a kind of global access and Ireland won the Under-19 World Cup in 1998. Um, that, for me, I flew down to Toulouse for the final. They beat France 18-0. There were a couple of stories from the tournament. One was that they drew 17-0 with South Africa in uh, a pool match, if you like, and it went to a penalty kicking competition afterwards. Ireland lost the the penalty kicking competition, but Paul Wallace, Paddy's father, who was out half, Paddy Wallace was out half on that team, uh, noticed that one of the South Africans hadn't been involved in the game. Ireland put in a formal complaint to the then IRB, which is now obviously World Rugby. They were kind of prevailed upon to withdraw it. They wouldn't. And as a result, South Africa were thrown out of the competition. Ireland went forward to beat uh, Argentina, I think it was, in the semi-final. And then France 18-0 in the final. Uh, on that team were Brian O'Driscoll, Paddy Wallace, Kieran Campbell and Donico Callahan. And, and uh, I remember on my journey down, I sat beside Donica's lovely mum, uh, Mary. So um, she was a little bit of a nervous flyer. So we had a good chat on the way down. Declan Kidney coached that team. And it was the first time where you thought, wow, there was a generation of Irish players now coming through. It's not that they hadn't been successful at schools level, but this was the first time in a, we call it a global competition. New Zealand weren't a part of it at that time, but would become and would go on to win it several times. Um, it was the first time where I saw an Ireland team play a brand of rugby um, that was inspiring to watch in some respects. Declan Kidney was the coach. Uh, I watched Ireland in that match run France off the pitch. They ran ball, not in desperation from inside their own 22, but because they wanted to play that way. They had a a very good pack with some great athletes. Damien Brawl went on to play a lot of ga with, uh, in Dublin circles as well. Aidan Carney was there, a uh, very good player too. And then they had a backline. Um, Dara Holt got a brilliant try uh, in the final. I remember Dara playing the piano in the lobby of the hotel as well. Um, 
very good too, I must say. Lots of, lots of men and many talents. You're, yeah. very, you're very good at calming down stressed mothers on airplanes. Dara yeah. Holt is very good at um, playing the piano. Yeah, no, he's. I think, I'm not sure which one is, uh, I suppose I give all credit to Dara in terms of his piano playing skills. Yeah, I think they were just, um, it was the first time I saw a, an underage Ireland team that were emboldened to play. I thought Declan Kidney did a fantastic job in, in encouraging them to play and the way they played and the way they won was just um, was superb. That's really, something, hear, it's something you hear a lot, actually. When even now in in, in today's competition, obviously we're what 20, twenty years on from that, um, but you do hear that. I think it's praise for the twenties in that they're younger. They you don't try and put as much structure on their game plan. And a lot of people would actually say sometimes the the, the quality of rugby or the brand, so to speak, rather than quality, is actually better to watch than than senior level. Just because it's like you say, they they run from deep, they play with more attacking rugby. I think maybe nowadays that's maybe not as much of the case, given that the twenties is it is a breeding ground for the for the national side. They are playing in a very similar way to the Irish side. I think it just happens that. Ireland play a reasonably attractive brand of rugby at senior level now and that and that filters down and I guess that's what this conversation is about it's kind of trying to tease out just how much of a like what is success with these 20s is it winning grand slams which they have done the, the last two years 2022-2023 or is it producing guys who can seamlessly slot into a, an Irish senior side within the next two three years from graduating it's a twin track approach I think they make no bones about this so Back in the day, um, they would have looked at Ireland being competitive at every level they played. So be that schools, internationals, youth internationals, whatever it was. But there was a, a kind of um, a tweaking of, um, I suppose, the system, if you like, and what they wanted to achieve from this. So Ireland continued to play at schools, youths level, and they'll play it over the Easter period and, and in April, I think, at under 18s, under 19s. But at under 20s, it's a, it's no longer a benchmarking process. Now it's about results as well, because you've got the two competitions that the 20s play in the Six Nations, of which Ireland have done uh, brilliantly. And then you've got the Junior World, what they call the Junior World Championship or the Under 20 World Cup, whichever you prefer. And France have, have obviously won the last three iterations of that, including beating Ireland in the final last year. So um, not that results at under 18 and under 19 are irrelevant, but they're not as important as looking at a broader group of players, uh, a filter process, if you like, to try and get a good crop of players by 20s. Because by the time you get to 20s, that's when they're looking at these players having a profile um, both provincially and nationally. So I think there's that aspect of it. And you are looking at players coming through to fill certain positions uh, in in the provinces and by extension then in the national side. But it's also a, it's a breeding ground for coaches as well. I mean, you look at Noel McNamara, who we had in the, the first episode of, of, of this season of the Counter Rock. Uh, well worth going back to listen to that actually when we had him on. He's now a tack coach at Bordeaux and anytime there's a vacancy in Irish rugby, uh, be it the Ulster head coach job or the Leinster attack job or, or whatever it is, his, he's is a name that has impressed um, and he's his name gets mentioned and his, he's cut his teeth with Ireland in the 20s. Richie Murphy is now going to be the Ulster head coach until the end of the season at least. He's currently the Ireland in the 20s coach. So it's, it works both ways. Players and coaches use this as a, as a very valuable stepping stone. Well, Ireland have always, I mean, you can go back as far as under 21s with Eddie O'Sullivan who coached Ireland to Triple Crowns. You can look at Mike Ruddock who was a Grand Slam winning coach at Wales who coached the Irish under 20s. You look at Michael Bradley who coached the 20s. You look at Kieran Fitzgerald who coached the 20s. So, you know, there, there's... Ireland. That, well, yeah. Eric Elwood and Dan McFarlane coached the very first under 20 Grand Slam winning side in 2007. 
and I am making myself sound as old as Methuselah here, but I was at that game. It was, in, I think, a place called Benevento, which is a couple of hours outside of Rome. And I remember going down to the match. There was in a stadium, struggled to get in, no press box, no team sheets, ended up sitting in between Dan McFarland and, and Eric Elwood in a box kind of overlooking a terrace in the stadium. Italy took a two-score lead in the match. I remember thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I'm, I've, I've given them the kiss of death. And eventually it ended happily. Arda went on to win pulling up. So that team uh, would have had the likes of Felix Jones, Darren Cave, Keith Earls, Ian Keatley, Kean Healy. Go on, you've got three more future internationals, but you've got uh, no notes in front of you. you. I've got them in front of me. Three more to name from that 2007 I'm group. Tr- that's what I was trying to think. Sean O'Brien. Yeah, two more. Uh, Munster back row. Uh, oh, Tommy O'Donnell. Yeah, and then uh, uh, prop. Kean Healy was one prop. I'm trying to think. Oh, on the other side of the scrum. <sighs> All I can think of is all the props it, that are that are, that it isn't wasn't capped very much, but did was capped. Wow, Jamie Hagen. Oh J- yes, sorry, yes, yeah, yeah, from Balbriggan, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, let's let's get into that because I think you, in preparation for this, you said I think between three to half a dozen players per year per crop of twenties, uh, as as we know it now. You've mentioned it's it's changed. It's been under twenty ones, under nineteens, whatever iteration it is. Um, Two thousand seven being the first year of success for Ireland. Generally speaking, you see it as someone who covers this squad quite a lot as three to six future internationals is a good crop. 2007, there were nine, I believe. Uh, 2016, which is kind of when I first started really paying attention to the 20s. Remember, they beat they beat the baby blacks, as they're called, the New yeah, Zealand for, yeah. for the first, first, the male, first time. First male Irish side to do it. Yeah, yeah um, that was a cracking team, especially when you look at the, the current senior side. Uh, Andrew Porter, James Ryan, Hugo Keenan, Jacob Stockdale, Jimmy O'Brien, Shane Daly's been capped as well, Max Deegan, Will Connors, and, and even if you wanted to be talking about other internationals, Vak Abdeladza has since been capped by Georgia. So those are two years that stand out. What are, the, what are the years for you stand out as successful in terms of bringing through players? Well, I should also have pointed out that in 2004, uh, Ireland reached the Under-21 World Cup final, and that was Mark McDermott was the coach of that team. Uh, that was captained by David Gannon. Uh, they beat Australia in the semi-final. Tommy Bowe was injured during the tournament, didn't play in the final. But to give you a flavour of the players that were in that team, you would have had Jamie Heaslip, who was shortlisted for World Player of the Year, which I think was won either by Luke McAllister or uh, or Ben Atiga. You would have had in that team, Tommaso Leary was scrum half. Garrett Steenson, who went on to play, have a brilliant career with the Exeter Chiefs. He was out half. Um, so Ireland have had a history of producing, if you like, championship winning teams, be it triple crowns or, you know, reaching a very high level going back that far. That team that we spoke about in 2007, uh, obviously from that team, I think uh, you would have had Felix Jones, Darren Cave, Keith Earls, Ian Keatley, Keen Healy, Sean O'Brien, Jamie Hagan, Tommy O'Donnell. And then in 2009, I think was one, uh, 2008 included Tommy Seymour, who went on to win 43 caps for Scotland and, and play for the Lions as well. 2009 was, uh, had a great throughput. So you would have had Connor Murray, Jack McGrath, Reese Ruddock, Peter O'Mahony, John Cooney, Dominic Ryan, Matt Healy, Noel Reid, and Ian McKinley, who went on to win a few caps for Italy. For Italy, yeah, of course. Uh, he's got a great story with his, his eye injury, does, does Ian McKinley. Uh, played a lot for Leinster as well. When when you're covering these teams, mm-hmm. it's it's asking you to be honest with hindsight here. When when looking at them and you're playing, looking at them in the flesh, how easy or otherwise is it to predict 
yeah, this guy, this guy is going to be a 50 cap international for Ireland, or this guy has something that the senior side will need very, very soon. And how often have you been wrong with that type of thing? Never wrong, ever, <laughs> ever, no matter what I've done in life. No, no. Uh, I would say that um, it can be. You know you know who comes with a reputation. What helps me a little bit and anybody who covers 20s is if you get to see the players at school's level, it gives you an opportunity to see if they've made progress from the age of 17, 18 through to, you know, 19, 20 years of age. So you're not ju- judging them in a, on a one-off basis based on what they're doing in a particular match at under 20 level. You will have seen them play a little bit before. That having been said, yeah, you can pick out players. There are players who stand out and you know full well that they are going to, with uh, injury permitting and given a reasonable crack, are going to make it through. There are other players who come through f- strongly, you know, would have looked at maybe, maybe have been kind of fringe players uh, at other levels and come through. So it's a bit like any aspect of underage sport. There are players who stand out. There are other players who get better and better as time goes on. And there are players who obviously don't make it to, uh, if you like, national prominence at that age, but come through at a later a later date, I would have seen, yeah, there would have been a number of players where you would have said, yes, definitely. There is a player called, I don't know if any listeners might remember him, called Cormac Dowling. And Cormac Dowling was probably the best school's back I ever saw. And he was so unfortunate with injury. And I think he would have gone on to play for Ireland at senior level. So if you're asking me to name somebody who I thought, yeah, was nailed on, every time I saw him play, I just thought... This guy has everything, absolutely everything. He's an outstanding player. Um, And he was just very, very unfortunate with, I think he picked up two cruciate injuries and, you know, it was just, he was very, very unlucky. Um, And there are standout players. Like if we were, if we fast forward from 2007 and say go to 2016, that team, the way Ireland played, and, and I'd have to go, sorry, first of all, I'll go back a little bit and go back to Declan Kidney. If you look at a blueprint for the way that Ireland underage teams have progressed to play the quality of rugby, and you touched on the point already about how entertaining they are to watch, and they are really entertaining. They don't die wandering, and there's a charm to that as well. And it also allows, uh, if you like, selectors, coaches, people to look at these players in the context of whether they're going to make it in international rugby. If you stress a player's skill set at that age to play a certain style of rugby, you get a good idea of whether he's going to make it or not. And that's very important because, like we say, going back to the twin track approach, yes, it's about results, and but it's also about the development of players. So they play in a style which means that you challenge the players to play. If you talk to uh, coaches who come from outside of Ireland to come and coach in Ireland, the one thing that they all say, which is uniform in what they say, is the skill set of the players is very, very high. But that's not always been the case, though, is it? Like when Joe Schmidt came in, a big thing for him was these, like a lot of these guys I'm getting at, at Leinster even – these guys aren't skilled enough. So it's not always been the case, has it? Well, no, I think he was talking about more the senior players yeah. at that point rather than the, the, the younger players. So some of them, yeah, it's, it's if you're looking at a style of rugby, and this comes and goes a little bit at senior level depending on the coach, but in a general sense, I remember talking to Pat Howard, uh, former Australian international who coached the Leicester Tigers, and there was, a, uh, I think there were about eight Irish players there at one stage. And I asked him why. Um, why he had so many Irish players there. And he said, because I can put size on a player, but I can't, but I can't give him a skill set. 
And he said, the Irish players, I know from experience, I know from my, his dad, Jake coached in Wanders and I was a former Wallaby forwards coach. And he said, I know from experience of being over there and, and Pat played, uh, I think a season or two over here as well. You know, he, he understood Irish rugby and he understood that the, the high skill levels of the players here. And he felt that um, when he was at Leicester, that they were people that could would add to the environment add to the team sorry more than the environment and that, and that they they came ready made in some respects they sorry they probably had to be you know physically they had to be developed a little bit more but he found he prioritised the fact that they had superior skill sets to their English counterparts in most cases I'll continue my chat with John O'Sullivan after this short break Welcome back to The Counter Rock. My name is Nathan Johns and I'm still here with John O'Sullivan as we chat all things Ireland under 20s. The flip side of the point, which we were talking about earlier, which is somebody who, you know, you look at, you think he's nailed on and for whatever reason he doesn't make it. Uh, there's quite a lot of players who played at under 20 level, but wouldn't have been the underage star. I mean, you look at 2019, that Grand Slam outfit under Noel McNamara. And again, Noel talked about this with us on a previous episode. He had Ryan Baird. I think he was injured at the start of the tournament, uh, then didn't really start. He came off the bench and was a was a bit part player. And you look at him now and what he's doing, the impact he's bringing off the bench or the senior side, and you go, how does a guy that athletic not dominate at underage level? And equally, you look at the year after, Joe McCarthy wasn't a prominent part of the, the 2020 under 20 group. That that year, they were they were cut short. I think they'd got three games out of five and then COVID ended that tournament. But McCarthy was a, was a squad player. I'm not even sure how many times he played during that Six Nations. But yeah, it was only when kind of Trinity got his, their hands on him in the IL a couple of years later that he started um, really impressing. So it's, yeah, it works both ways. Yeah, he's a year, he was a year young. And uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Ryan Baird, I mean, it's, it's funny that the, if you look at that progression, if, if we're going to take it in recent years from 2019, so you have Noel McNamara coaching that 2016, sorry, would have been Nigel Carlin, who's now with Glasgow, and then you had Noel McNamara, and now you've Richie Murphy, and it's been a... Uh, it's been a period of great success, both for, uh, in terms of the development of those players, as we've spoken about, and in terms of success. Uh, that 2020 year, which was Jack Crowley, um, they won three matches and would have been strongly fancied to complete a Grand Slam had the tournament continued, but obviously it was uh, cancelled after three matches. Um, 2021, I think they played the Six Nations in the summer. So, uh, yeah, Ireland that was the Jamie Osborne year. Yeah. That was that, yeah. And I don't think... Yeah, it's probably not fair to look at that group yet and no. go, he hasn't been capped, he hasn't been capped because as we're going to talk about in a few minutes actually, uh, Ireland don't cap these players at senior level very young like other countries yeah. uh, might. But just that 20, but it's interesting, that 2019 group won a Grand Slam but actually in recent years has actually so far been one of the lowest producers of national international talent. You've got Baird, Craig Casey and Harry Byrne are the three Irish players. Ben Healy was in that group. Obviously he's subsequently been capped by Scotland but as crops go that's actually uh, quite a low number uh, for a future international now 2019 you might still it's, well, I think, you might yeah. still get a few more coming through at some point uh, late developers or guys who get capped on when the Lions are away that type of thing yeah there'll be a few more that have done well at provincial level and you would think that there may be a throughput from that Something uh, like Dave McCann up in Ulster for yeah example. and Scott Penny obviously was part of that 2019 group I think you've got to look at players that uh, you know who are, are outstanding players and I touched on Scott Penny there but John Hodden's another 
John Hodden is a, a superb rugby player, and you just you can just be unlucky in terms of the players that are available to the national coach. In this case, Andy Farrell at his disposal, and you know you'd look at. You know, people talk about Gavin Coombs. People talk about Max Deegan. You know, you look at those players and any other time. I wanted to bring him up. 2016 World Underage Player of the Year or Junior Player of the Year, whatever that award is called. Not a lot of, I don't think any other Irish players won it, have they? Uh, A brief scan. Since since 2008, which is when it's been called the Junior Player of the Year, no other Irish players won it. And yet, he's third choice number eight at Leinster still yeah. all these years later what eight years after breaking through it under 20 level he can't get a game in the Champions Cup unless there's an injury with Caelan Doris and, and Jack Cohen and ahead of him so again somebody who probably could have had a very successful career elsewhere but decided to stay here in Ireland and, and I think he, ha- he has been capped hasn't he at yeah. senior level yes he has he, just, he hasn't uh, had the career that you'd expect of a, of a world underage player of the year probably through no fault of his own I think if anybody saw him play in that 2016 season, particularly in the World Cup, he was absolutely brilliant and he was a deserved winner of, of that award. He had to try and reinvent himself. He's, he was unlucky with a cruciate injury. He's been unlucky with injuries at the wrong time and that plays a part in any player's career to some degree. But in the last year and a half, he, there were aspects of Max's game that he needed to to improve upon and one of them was kind of the nitty gritty aspect of things if you watch Max Deegan play in the last 18 months or two years he's added that to his game he carries powerfully he, he was always a brilliant athlete so he's added the, the, the kind of nitty gritty to his game you know very direct in his carrying now not always out in the wider channels when you see Max Deegan carry in the wider channels you understand what a great athlete he is um, Do you not wonder though someone like that who clearly has a pathway blocked because at international and domestic level, because like we said, the, the two Irish number eights are in front of him, both for a province or country. I don't know, is it a feather in the cap of the system that he is incentivized to stay playing as a third choice, but pick up a couple of domestic medals, maybe might get 10 caps internationally by the end of his year, uh, by the end of his career, but not necessarily have the, like I said, the career you expect of an underage star. But like, is, there's something going right in the system that they can afford to keep that talent there when he probably could have gone off and made a, a lot more money elsewhere, albeit by sacrificing his international prospects. I think it comes down to the person, the player. You've got to make those decisions for yourself. And, and if you're, I suppose if you look at it from this perspective, if I think I'm a, a really excellent player and I back myself and I have confidence in my own ability, at some point during that period, you think I'm going to get a crack. And when I get the crack you know, at the jersey, I'm going to hang on to it. But he's never really got that. Like, I suppose if you look at the flip side of that, Andrew Conway decided to go to Munster, you know, where he was not getting, I would say, regular game time for Leinster. But like he came in with a huge repertoire and deservedly so in some respects. But he he went away and worked very hard on aspects of his game that he needed to develop and then turned into the player, superb player that, that he became. He had oodles of talent. I remember watching him at school. Buckets of ability, but there were aspects of his game in his kicking and his fielding. And he went away and funnily enough worked with Felix Jones on that aspect of his game. He moved away from Leinster, went down to Munster, got regular game time, worked on his game and became an outstanding player who unfortunately has had to retire early through injury. But He still had a pretty good career. Oh, he's had a a great career. Like He's fulfilled his promise as a player. That's to his credit. This is kind of the crux of the discussion for me. And again, we talked about it with, with Noel McNamara. Uh, I've mentioned him so much now that you have to go back and listen to that episode. I think that's three times I've managed to bring him up. Anyway, he made the point to us that, look at France. 
Pasolo Tuolaghi just played for France in a senior game, 19 years of age. Played in the under-20 World Cup winning side during the summer. Louis Bielbiere, again, senior player, key part of that France World Cup squad. Been in and out of the side in the Six Nations injury and selection, but last year was an under-20 Six Nations squad member. Uh, Nicolas Desporter, another one who hasn't played senior level for France yet, I'm pretty nope, sure, he but hasn't. he's in the squad. He's in the senior squad now. Yeah, yeah. Players like Tulangi could actually be playing for France in the under-26 Nations this year, but they're playing senior level. We don't do that as an as an as a country here in Ireland. Yeah. It takes guys two to three years at least mm-hmm. to then go on and get capped at senior level. Noel made the point that that's because you've got the top 14. You've got 14 teams, let's say for argument's sake, you've got a second row, you've got three second rows in each squad, 14 times three. You've 42. Got, you've got the develop. thank you for the bailing me out with the maths there. You've got the development platform to play these guys and say, right, go out and just play professional rugby week in, week out, get beaten up every week and you learn and you develop quickly. So it's a numbers game is a reason why France do that and Ireland don't in terms of quickly capping these guys. But then the argument is... Do Ireland need another outlet, a fifth province, so to speak? A lot of people would be talked about buying London Irish before they went bust. I don't think the RFU ever could have afforded that, but that was a conversation that was touted in the media. Or is it a case of, well, by making it so competitive and so many players drop off, you actually ensure that the cream rises to the top, so to speak, at provincial level, and therefore someone like Andy Farrell is literally only picking from the best of these players to have come through. I think that if you look at the benefits of the Emerging Ireland Tour to South Africa, you understand why so young that, players... That, that suggests they need another outlet then. Well, they need, they, need, they need to play matches at a level that challenges them. So you either... You can't go in and completely revamp club rugby as things stand unless there's a willingness amongst the clubs. And then you've got to say, well, what's in it for the clubs? Um, if you want to do it By there. clubs, you mean AIL? Rather yeah, than sorry, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you've got to look at the outlet that those players have and you've got to challenge them. So what France do is, yeah, it's a numbers game. Absolutely. They've got, there are 14 teams. You can have 28 centres playing every week. So yes, of course, you've got an opportunity for young centres to come through and then they challenge each other. It's not a perfect system as France, like France have won the last three under 20 World Cups. They've got some wonderful players. You would struggle to uh, find three better young scrum halves in the world now, if you look at the players that are available to France or would be available to France, uh, you know, that you can apply that through uh, most of the positions uh, in the team. So, yeah, I think it, it is very important that Ireland find a way to bring, to give these young players an opportunity to play. They had the Celtic Cup. It wasn't perfect by any means. The standard was very ropey. You'd look this at... This is A-team rugby. Yeah, A-team rugby. And you'd look at the, the you know, the, the hammerings they dish out to, to visiting teams from Wales Cornish and Scotland Pirates. and mm-hmm. yeah, England. But they'd go to the Cornish Pirates then and get beaten themselves because they'd be beaten up up front. But there is an element of learning in that process, whereas... Now, if you look at available, not available, and you have sympathy for the clubs as well, because it's not it's not up to them to develop the players in in uh, you know an overt way. If the players are available to them, but they're in and out and in and out and taken back by their provinces and you know some of the academy players, so it's a very imperfect system. So to answer your question is yes, they need to find some way of giving these players as much game time as possible. They did it. If you look at the likes of a Shane Daly, Hugo Keenan, Rob Balcombe, we won't go back through all the people that have played sevens, sevens. But there is an element of sending some of those players who have benefited at the time from playing sevens for a season. 
there are 13 players in a seven squad. So it's not as if you can start sending all these players that you want to have a look at off to play sevens and you've got existing players already there. So I think it is a, it is a flaw in the system uh, in terms of allowing young players to come through and get regular game time. We'll leave it there. Thank you, John, as always. Pleasure. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, Nifty Business. My name is Nathan Johns. Uh, you just heard from John O'Sullivan all about the Ireland under-20s. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe to The Counter Up wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Monday. Mm-hmm.